We're going to put your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Me and my wife are incredibly excited to be here, thankful to be here. But I'm going to save all my introductory remarks to, to later, to one of the other studies that we have. Because I know this is the only, only time period that, that's kind of on a schedule. And I want to give our time to the study. So let's go right into it. Hebrews chapter 9. verse 22, according to the law, I may almost say all things are by the law cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. Let's just start with that thought for just a moment. In this early class, I want to, hopefully all these lessons will be something we can apply to ourselves and make ourselves better with. And as we prepare ourselves to take of the Lord's Supper in, in, in our next assembly, hopefully this can help us focus our mind and, and going on in future times to help us remember that great sacrifice. Just think back to all the blood that was required through the time of God's people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Sacrifice has been a part of God's law since sin entered into the world. And th there were bulls, there were goats, there were lambs. There were a lot of agents of that sacrifice, and they were slaughtered by the millions. And that might sound to you at first hearing to be, well, though that's exaggeration. No, it's not an exaggeration at all. And we'll kind of put that to the test in just a little while. And so I just want to remind us that we need to appreciate all the blood that was sacrificed and all the death that occurred because of sin. And we're going to look at it through, just, I guess you could say, chronological order. Let's just look at Jesus as that lamb and go back to the patriarchal days. Go back to some very, very familiar texts. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. Some familiar texts that we could just, without even reading, we could just paraphrase and all of us would probably be very comfortable with that. In Genesis 22, Abraham is told to take his son. He's going to offer him. Isaac doesn't know that. But can you... Just imagine that we kind of maybe divorce ourselves and take a couple of steps back and not get into the emotion of such a request, a command. And in verse 4, on the third day, do we, do we overlook that? Three days Abraham had to do this. He was told, he said he got up early, and then he, they walked all day long, they, take it, they, they camp out. They get up and they walk all day long. I'm not the smartest guy around, and you're going to figure that out before this week is done. But here's what I can do. Give me three days. I'm coming up with a lot of reasons why I shouldn't offer my son up. Give yourself three days. You can probably come up with a lot of justification for why not to do such a thing. And yet there's Abraham's faith. And we, 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 we should appreciate that, and we would love that. And can you imagine, without taking ourselves away from the emotion, can you imagine when the son says, okay, well, I see this, I see this, I see this. You know what I don't see? I don't see his sacrifice. Abraham's looking at the sacrifice. Isaac just doesn't know that. Can we put ourselves in the emotion of that? And then you know what happened. The knife is up, and the knife, is, as far as Abraham's concerned, it, 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 it's already plunged. And God stops him. And we thought, oh, what wonderful, wonderful, no sacrifice that day. Nothing had to die that day. No would be as wrong as wrong gets. Something did die that day. Drop down to verse 13. 
Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold there was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. In the stead of his son. Something died that day. It just wasn't Isaac. Something died instead of Isaac. I want you to remember that phrase. We're going to come back to that phrase. Something died. It just wasn't Isaac. Look in Exodus chapter 11. Familiar text. This will be that section of or the Passover. Nine of the ten plagues have happened. Pharaoh's hardened heart just continuing to get more and more rock-like. And now that tenth one is about to roll. In verse 11, the firstborn, chapter 11, verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 11, 5, and the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Sounds specific, doesn't it? The first one shall die. The firstborn of Pharaoh that sits on the throne, firstborn of the servants that's behind the mill, the firstborn of the beast. Something's going to die. Someone is going to die. Something is going to shed blood in every house in the land. And we think to ourselves, well, yeah, but there was the Passover. Nobody had to die. Nothing had to die in Goshen. Nothing had to die where the Israelites were, God's people were. That would be wrong. Turn to chapter 12, verse 13. Actually, something died in every house. The blood shall be for you as a token upon the house wherever you are. You remember what happened. The, there was a sacrifice to happen in Israel. And they were to take that blood and they, they, they put it at the top of the door and on the sides of the door. And it's called in verse 13, the old, the old language, the old translation says, as a token. Newer versions will use the word as a representation. You know what happened? Paraphrase it. Something died in every house in e Egypt. But if you and I had, had that sacrifice, it wasn't our firstborn. Something died as a token for our firstborn. Something died as a representation of our firstborn. Something died instead of it. Our firstborn didn't have to die, but something did. Every house in Egypt, something died. And in most of those houses... It was their firstborn. Ended up out in the fields. There was a lot of death that day. Patriarchal days. There was a lot of blood. Look to the Mosaic age. They get out of Egypt. They make their way to Mount Sinai. You remember. A law was given. The law was read. And in that law, we're turning to Leviticus chapter 4. In that law... There were very, very precise instruction given concerning sacrifices, various types of sacrifices. There were burnt offerings. There were grain offerings. There were peace offerings. We're going to emphasize today, we're going to spend some time, let's talk and look through and work through some sin offerings because the Bible says a lot more about that. There's more detail given Concerning that, than there were some of the others. But look into Leviticus chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 4. Just to pull some phrases out. Verse 3. If the priest that is anointed 
sin. Then there's about 10 verses describing the sacrifices that needed to take place. Drop down to verse 13. If the whole congregation of Israel sin, and then there's all these verses that describe a sacrifice that has to take place. Drop down to verse 22. When a ruler has sinned. Verse 27. If any of the common people sin, and there's me and you, just to make sure we understand where we fit in this. You're at Leviticus 4 saying, if the, if the priest sin, if, if through happenstance the whole, the whole group has sinned, if a ruler has sinned, if a commoner, this whole chapter is describing a sacrifice that has to take place in all those various different realms, all the regulations that take place to cover sin. And in each one of those, the regulation involved, somebody's got to die. Something has to shed blood. Turn to Numbers. Oh, I'm sorry, look at, look at Leviticus 16 before we go there. We won't spend much time here, but Leviticus 16 is, is the entire chapter is a description of the Day of Atonement. An important day under the law of Moses, the one day when the high priest could go behind the veil. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. He was in and out of there all day long because there were a lot of stipulations, the whole chapter just laying out what that day would have been. Just to pull out a couple of verses as we did before. In verse 11, Aaron will bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. Something died because the high priest had sinned. And so he, before he can do anything for anybody else, he has to take care of his own sin. Something dies because of the high priest. And then there's a lot of chapters, a lot of verses there. Drop down to verse 15. Then, after he's had a sacrifice for himself, then he will kill the goat of the sin offering. That's for the people. Something died because the priest sinned. Something died because me and you had sinned. Then you remember in verse 20, it starts talking about the, the, the live goat. It's called, that was that scapegoat we refer to. That was taken out, bam, and run out in the wilderness. The symbol that blood has been shed. The sin has been remitted. And there it goes. No longer in the camp with us. But you know, the Day of Atonement happened over and over and over and over. This, 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 this process happened time and time and time again. Turn to Numbers. We're getting monotonous with this, but this is to serve a purpose. You and I aren't under the law. And because we're not under the law, we might not be as familiar with it as those who lived under it would have been. And maybe we just have never really taken the time to think about all the blood. If that is true, let's correct that. Let's talk about a typical days as the calendar just starts flipping by. Typical day. Numbers chapter 28, look in verse 3. 
You shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, which you will offer to the Lord. Two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day. You know what day by day means? It means every day, daily. Two lambs every day that the sun came up. Drop down to verse 9. On the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot. You know what the Sabbath day is? The seventh day. Every seventh day, every Sabbath day, there were two more lambs. Every time it happened. Two, every day the sun comes up. Oh, except the Sabbath day. Then there's two additional ones. Drop down to verse 11. And in the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs. Verse 15, and one kid of the goats. Did you catch that? Now, that means October 1st, November 1st, December 1st, whatever their months would have been called. Every first day of the month, you have this extra. There was, if you counted them, there's 11. So, well, okay, two every single day. Oh, except the Sabbath day, then there's extra. Oh, except the first day of the month, and then there's a lot extra. And that's every month. Two a day, every day. Except the Sabbath day, every Sabbath day. Except the first day of the month, every first day of the month. Turn to chapter 29. Just one page over. Chapter 29. Now let's talk about those feast days. You know, those days that were very special to the Jews. Those, there was Passover, there was Pentecost, there was Tabernacles. Chapter 29 refers to the Feast of Tabernacles. It was, it was a week-long feast. We're not going to look at it all. We're just going to look at it enough to get us moving. Look in chapter 29, verse 13. Verse 13. This is the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. You will offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire, sweet savor to the Lord. Thirteen bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs. Day one. Verse 17. On the second day, twelve young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs. Verse 20. On the third day, Verse 23, on the fourth day, you can keep reading when you get home if you're interested. Two a day, every day, except the Sabbath day, and except the first day of the month, and except feast days. And you know what we haven't talked about yet? Personal sacrifices. Those times when you and I, out of shame and out of guilt, find us a Levite. Find us an ironic priest. No matter what tribe we were in, there were those, 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 those Levitical cities to make it close. Every day, people are bringing sacrifices to the priest because every day, sin is happening. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So when we talk about this being by the millions, that's not an exaggeration. 
If anything, we might be selling it short. It was a slaughterhouse for 1,500 years. And we just pulled a couple verses here and there to just to give us an idea of that. And it's about here when maybe we, we start acknowledging what we have kind of put away to our side. And we're, wow, well, that, that's a lot. I'm so glad I wasn't a priest. I'm so glad I wasn't a Levitical priest. I'm so glad. I, you know, I just love animals. Oh, that would be so. I'm glad I wouldn't have to take part in it. I'm glad I wouldn't have to see it. About that. Turn back to Leviticus 1. Leviticus 1. Those private sacrifices that we haven't talked about, now let's talk about them. Here's how it played out. Leviticus 1. Verse 2. If any man of you bring an offering to the Lord, you will bring your offering. Then it goes on. Now he's talking about personal offerings. Me and you, had we lived in. If any of you have an offering, you will bring it. Verse 4. And he, but we're making this personal. You, me. And he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. We were there. Oh, I'm so glad I wasn't a Levitical priest. I'm glad I wouldn't have had a duck. I'm glad I, I could just drop it off. Thank you, sir. No, be sure. My hand is right there when the throat was cut. Your hand is right there. Your hand is on the head of something that's dying because of your sin. And you watched it. And you saw it. Something died in our stead. And we were there. So no, we can't take the step back. We would have been present and we would have witnessed it. What's all this about? Okay, now, now let's get out of that. Okay. And you're saying, well, it's about time. Yeah. yeah. Let's get out of that. Let's make sure we understand what it's about. Why would God have such specific, such a, a specific process under the law? Why would it have been so detailed and so outlined? For them, And why is it recorded for us? Why did the Holy Spirit think we needed to know about that? Because it's certainly not a pretty picture. There's a lot of blood being drained out. It's not a river of blood, it's an ocean of blood. When you think of all the 1,500 years and all the sacrifices that took place in that. And what we need to see from it is sin is serious business. And sitting at home watching replays on SportsCenter isn't going to take care of it. What he wants us to see is that the way of forgiveness is a bloody trail. So that we'll understand the cost. Our hand on the head of someone, something dying for us. And he wanted us to see it and he wants us to know it. The wages of sin is death. Memory verse, right? I would suppose 90% of the group knows the wages of sin is death, Romans 6. We understand what wages are. Whatever it is you do, there is a wage. Whether you're paid by the hour, whether you're paid a salary, whether you're paid every Friday, or whether you're paid every month, you work and here's the wages. 
Which means if you do your week, you do your month, and you get that check, or you get the direct deposit, you're getting what you earned. You're getting what you deserve. That's your wages. I did this, I get this. The wages of sin is death. Do we understand that? Because of our sin, we earned spiritual death. That's what we deserve. That's what we ought to get. And without the remission, of, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then God offered a lamb. Turn to Isaiah 53. Remember Isaac? Something died that day. It just wasn't Isaac. Something died in his stead. You remember the Israelites on the Passover? Something died in every house in Israel. Just thanks be to God, it wasn't the Israelite firstborns. Something died instead. The wages of sin is death. And God is a just God. Somebody has to die because of my sin. It should be me. God is a just God. The wages of sin is death. Someone has to die for your sin. It should be you. Instead, another died for us, just like with Isaac. Isaiah 53. Let's remind ourselves about who God's lamb was. We think about Jesus being this lamb of God. Pick up with me in verse 2. He shall grow up as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He will have no former comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we would desire him. You know what that means? It means we walk past him on the street and don't give a second look. Nothing, would have, nothing about him would have got our attention Nothing about him would have made us do one of those double takes. He just, he just blended in according to his looks. Verse 3, he's despised, he's rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our face from him. He was despised and esteemed him not. Let's cut the, let's cut the eunuch some slack, okay? Uh, who's he talking about? How am I giving, I'm not going to know who he's talking about if somebody doesn't teach me. Yeah, me and you wouldn't have known either. Does that sound like a king to you? Nothing about him important. Nothing about him stood out. No, the ones who did notice him did it with a sneer and with a shake of the head. And doesn't look like a king, huh? Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. Should have been us. He did it instead. He's borne our griefs. Carried our sorrows. We're the one who should be in sorrow. He did it instead. We esteemed him stricken. We're the one supposed to be stricken. Smitten. We're the one. Afflicted. We're the one. That's the wages that we earned. Somebody did it instead. Verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. Make it personal as we need to make it. Bruised for our iniquities. We deserve the wages. He took it on. He did it instead. And you drop down to verse 10. It pleased the Lord. This was, this was God's sacrifice. We think of possession. Big, big room here. 
the book of George. Your book, right? The purse of Carolyn. Your purse, right? The Lamb of God. It was his offering, not for himself. His lamb, his sacrifice, and he did it for us. Because there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Back to Hebrews chapter 9. We know, I've been saying, I've been talk, trying to talk generically here. Someone had to die. Something had to die. Something died in the place of Isaac. Something died in the place of Israel in Egypt. Something died in the place of those under the law of Moses when they had their hand on the head. Something died instead. We know who that someone was. Hebrews chapter 9, we read earlier, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 12. The blood of bulls and goats. It was not how it happened. That wasn't the answer. It's not by the blood of bulls and goats. But by his own blood, he entered once into that holy place. And we, we understand. I know who I'm talking to, even though I don't know you. We understand who that someone was. And he died on our behalf. So let's move up and now make it us. Let's talk about the Christian age. We, the patriarchal days, blood. Mosaic age, blood and gallons and gallons of it. Christian age. God sends that lamb of God. God sends the one to die instead of us. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. One of my favorite sections in Revelation is that, that, that throne scene in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. In Revelation 4, we see the throne of God and we see all the, these described incredible created beings, heavenly beings around it. And they're praising Him day and night. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. And it says they take off their crowns and they throw it at Him as if to say, no, you're the only one to be crowned. We don't deserve this. We throw ours to you. But this incredible scene of God around his throne. That transitions still around the throne, but that transitions into chapter 4 where we see that, that scroll. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and without on the back side, meaning, it, it, I mean, front and back is what we would say. Front and back. It, it, the page is covered. The idea is everything that needs to be said is said. Everything that needs to be revealed is there. Front and back, it's complete. And the problem is it's sealed up. So something's in there significant, important, but we can't get it. We don't know what it tells us. Can you imagine that? Imagine that as being the scheme of redemption was caught. Here's God's plan for man. Here's how the wages of sin can be put away from us. But we don't know. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loosen the seals? No man in heaven, in earth, under the earth was able to open the book, or even look on it. 
and I wept much. Well, amen to that. I, I, I would imagine we would all be in tears over that. I wept much. Verse 5, one of the elders said unto me, Don't cry, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loosen it. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Thank you for that information. I'm so glad. I'm appreciative of the lion. The lion from the tribe of Judah. Now, what do you expect to see walk across the stage? What you're expecting to see is this incredible, majestic beast with the long mane, and every time he steps, you're looking at the back halves and the back leg, and you're just seeing muscles contracting. You're expecting to see a lion. All of his strength, all of his glory, all of his pride. And I looked, and in the midst of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. The lion from the tribe of Judah. And then you look up, and what you see is a, a lamb, blood-soaked, just matted and covered up with it. There's a picture of the Lamb of God. Verse 7, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on it. And then you remember the next few chapters as just one by one, the seals were re removed. But the point is, here's, here's that Lamb of God, possessive. God's sacrifice, not for his own, but for us. And we get a picture of that. We, we see the innocent that's dying to pay the penalty for the guilty. The wages of sin is death. And he volunteers and says, I got that. I'll pay. I'll take that. And to go back to, to Genesis, he died instead. He's the one who dies in the place. He's the one to go back to Exodus uh, as a token. He's the one who died as representation of another. What do we get from that? Turn to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. You're familiar with Revelation and... You know, whether we believe early day, late day, we, we can all agree on this. What the book is about is about victory. The book is, is, is about here's how it ends. Victory in Jesus. And with that being said, many commentators use verse 14, chapter 17, verse 14, as basically the centerpiece of the entire book. Here's the theme of the entire book, and it is victory. There will be those that make war with this lamb. The lamb we met back in chapter 5. War will be made by Satan, by his angels, by, by his minions. They make war with the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them. Remember that word. The lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. The Lord overcomes. The lamb overcomes. Now go back to chapter 12. What about me and you? Well, how, how do we fit into this? How in the world could you and I overcome Satan? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11.
We see, we see some of that battle going on. There will be war going on. Here's, here's some of that. In verse 2, it talks about the red dragon. Yeah, there's the land beast, there's the sea beast, and whatever application we want to make on that, whether that be worldliness, whether that be false teachings, but the land beast and the sea beast, you've got some, you've got some, some, de, some debate and some writings. On, on this red dragon, that, that's pretty well understood to be Satan himself. It's a representation of Satan, a symbol of him, and it speaks of the battle that they have. We'll drop down to verse 11. They have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Can we put those phrases together? Revelation 17, the Lamb overcomes. Me and you, we can be a part of that because of the blood of the Lamb. We overcome Satan. We overcome, it's how we overcome our past sins. It's how we can overcome the wages, the eternal death because of that sin. We overcome through his blood. What a wonderful message for us to remember. The blood that allows us to overcome Satan and all of his, all of the things he uses to attack us. And if we can get a better understanding of that, it'll help us be better. It'll help us do better. And our next hour, hopefully, it'll make the Lord's Supper a little bit more meaningful. And going forward, Hopefully it will give us things to think about concerning that. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We want to appreciate the instead. We want to appreciate the token, the representation. We want to appreciate that our wages, our consequences taken on by another. And what Paul's trying to make clear here is that it wasn't because we earned it. Was it because we were worthy? Romans chapter 5, I know you're familiar with the text, but start with me in verse 6. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm the ungodly there. As shameful as that is. You are the ungodly there. We're the ungodly that deserved eternal punishment. Christ died instead. Drop down to verse 8. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm the sinner in that verse, as shameful as that is. And since there are no children in this room, because they're off in their classes, there's no young kids here, you are the sinner in that verse, as shameful as that is. And Christ died instead. Drop down to verse 9. Much more now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. I am the one who deserved the wrath of God, as shameful as that is. And you are the one who deserved the wrath of God, as shameful as that is. And Jesus died instead. That's the message of the Lamb. And I hope we can appreciate that. I hope we better appreciate His sacrifice. I hope we better appreciate His blood. It'll help us be better. It'll help us do better.
I want to conclude with a story that even when I was, I was in seventh grade when this happened. I can still remember it, so, like, vivid memories of it. This would have been the early 80s. The T, I grew up in Florence, and the TVs, the, class, the school that I was at, that was when TVs in every classroom was just becoming a thing. There was some group somewhere that, 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 that did that, and so I can remember there was this, there was a, specifics are, are fading on me, but it, some of the specificness was there was a, a crash. There was some, kind, some form of plane crash in the Potomac River. And many of you may remember this. Early 80s, there was, there was this crash in the Potomac. And looking back now, it, this, what I'm about to describe probably was the Coast Guard, although I don't know that. But there was this hovering helicopter over the Potomac. And it's dropping down the ring, dropping down the, this, this life preserver. And there was this guy who was a part of the crash, and, and, and he, he takes that ring, and he helps somebody get in it. They lift him up. Ring comes back down. This guy helps us... Take them back. It just, ring keeps dropping, and this guy's helping people get in there. He's the last one left. They drop it down, and it, he wasn't there. He had worn himself out. Uh, the, the cold weather, it, this was winter, and the cold weather of the Potomac, or, it, it, it's, he wasn't there. I don't know that guy's name, but I'm going to tell you, I think... If I was one of the ones he helped that day, I bet they know his name. Might not have at the time, but I bet they learned it. I wonder if they told their kids about it, depending on their age. I don't know what that guy's name was. I wonder if there's anybody here who remembers that event. There's other people here my age and older. You might remember when that happened. I don't know what his name was. I bet we could look it up real quick. I know that we could. I don't know his name. But if he had saved me that day, I think I would have learned it. And I think I would have appreciated the sacrifice he made. And I think I would have told my kids about it. And I think I would have probably told anybody I could about it. Let me tell you what somebody did for me. Behold the Lamb of God who did something for us that we should never forget. We should never get jaded to it. We should never get so caught up in, oh, okay, first day of the week, this Lord's Supper. It's easy with just rote and repetition for things to become common and things to become normal. And we can't ever let that happen with the blood of Christ. Without the remission of sin or without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And I hope this has reminded us of that and, and will be a blessing to us going forward. This is not a, a, the type setting where we would throw an invitation on if, as, as we will it has become the custom in, in, in the rest of our, our, our studies together. But I do want to just, b before we close out, let's just, don't, don't waste this sacrifice. We've talked about the blood of the Lamb today. And I don't know who is who. There's less than 10 people in this room I can call by name. I don't know who is who. I don't know who Christians are. I don't know who has, has been cleansed by that blood. I don't know who has taken advantage that your wages of death can be covered by another. But I just want to emphasize don't waste the sacrifice. Don't show a lack of appreciation for that sacrifice. And I hope, you'll, I hope you'll do something so that your sins can be taken away because that's how we overcome. 
We still got about two minutes looking at the clock, if that's right. But let let me just lead us in a prayer, and then we'll just, I I don't want to, if I just start going off the cuff, I'll say something wrong. So let's just end right here, and let's end it with a prayer. God and Father, we're so thankful to you for this day. We're thankful that it's the Lord's day. We're thankful, Father, that that life is good for us, that our health and time and opportunity have allowed us to be here even today to worship you, to praise you, and to encourage and edify one another. We're so thankful for your wonderful plan and for your wonderful establishment of the church and that through your grace and through your mercy we can be a part of that. And as we've been reminded today, Father, we realize that that all of this is possible because of the sacrifice of your son, for the humility and the obedience he showed in going to that, that horrible death. It's a shameful thing that he had to be striped for us, that he had to die for us. And so we, we say thank you. And we pray, Father, that going forward that our thanks will be shown by service, that our appreciation will be shown by faithfulness and that more and more every day we'll become just like him. We ask in your son, Jesus' name, amen.